Welcome to Law X.0, a Bloomberg Law podcast dedicated to seeing around corners and preparing you for the next version of the legal industry. Welcome to Law X.0. I'm Meg McAvoy. And I'm Dory Goldstein. We are legal analysts at Bloomberg Law. Today we're talking about a topic that's been getting a lot of buzz in the legal industry. Litigation finance. We are yes, and I am so excited to be talking about litigation finance. You um, are sorry for the <laughs> sorry for all the excitement. It's not only is it an interesting topic, but in learning more about this, it enabled me to learn two new words uh, okay. from English common law, sure. which are champerty and maintenance. Um, and both of those used to be, I found out they used to be crimes and torts under English common law. And um, I just think this is so interesting. So just, <laughs> just quickly, I'll, I will explain how this relates to litigation finance, I promise. But according to Wikipedia, so you know it's true, maintenance uh, was considered to be the intermeddling of a disinterested party to encourage a lawsuit. And champerty was the support of litigation by a stranger in return for a share of the proceeds. So... Interesting, right? It's so interesting. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's important to note that uh, modern day litigation finance is not unlawful. It's <laughs> not. We we have ethics rules now. Attorneys are are absolutely able to to do this thanks to those ethics rules. Uh, but one can imagine why the feudal lords in England um, perhaps had these doctrines so that they're tenants weren't able to sue them. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think feudal lords are really known for their ethics, right. so that's yeah. not surprising. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, and so those doctrines have fallen by the wayside, and now we have modern litigation finance. Which is becoming a booming industry. And here to tell us a little bit more about litigation finance is Charles Agee, founder and CEO of Westfleet Advisors, a litigation finance brokerage and advisory firm. Uh, welcome, Charles. Thank you. Good to be here. Can you give us a little bit of background? What is litigation finance? Sure. So to put a definition on the term, litigation finance is a type of financing where a financier, or as we call them in the industry, a litigation funder, provides financing to another party, and the repayment of that financing is secured by that other party's financial interest in in one or more legal claims. So what does the typical financing arrangement look like? What types of cases and what types of, of claims are we talking about? Well, I would say the signature feature of a litigation finance transaction is that it is non-recourse or the repayment is contingent on a successful outcome of the the underlying litigation. So if the the funded party's litigation resolves unsuccessfully, the litigation funder has lost their, their investment. Um, these are typically the, – the proceeds of the financing transaction are typically used – to pay for the litigation or arbitration, and it's almost always used by the the plaintiff side of the the case as opposed to on the the defense side of the case. Although it's at least theoretically possible to structure a transaction on the defense side, the uh, so that's so usually they're used, the proceeds are used to pay for the case. Sometimes companies will use the the litigation finance proceeds to for some other unrelated you know working capital need that's not directly tied to the litigation but usually it's for the the litigation budget and the you know the at least in my world the commercial litigation financing world as opposed to the consumer litigation financing world which is really kind of a separate industry the the the, the borrowers or the funded parties are all you know businesses, companies, or, or, or law firms. So it's a commercial 
a commercial transaction as opposed to in the consumer world it's a you know personal injury plaintiff is typically the the the, the user of litigation finance and you see it applied to pretty much every type of litigation and arbitration that falls under that commercial umbrella. So, you know, you think of breach of contract cases, you know, antitrust, anti-competition cases, patent and intellectual property cases, business torts, uh, bankruptcy, insolvency, all all of those areas are uh, areas where you see litigation financing transactions take place. Interesting. And so do these tend to be, on the commercial side, they tend to be litigation that's funded by companies who could not otherwise afford to pursue such litigation or or for whom it would be inconvenient to pursue that volume of litigation? Or I guess talk about which, which companies are using this. Well, I think it's still true to say that the you know, predominant user base of, of commercial litigation finance is, you know, smaller companies or companies that don't have, you know, huge legal budgets. Um Although there there are more and more frequently you see larger companies with you know sophisticated legal departments with lots of litigation that they're that they're paying for out of their own pockets, looking at and 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 entering into litigation finance transactions because I mean the fact is no company large or small really wants to shell out cash to pay for litigation so they're using it as a way to to move some of that financial burden and and the risk associated with an adverse outcome in cases off of their P&L and, and and off their balance sheets. So it's 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 not just a David and Goliath dynamic, although th- those are the obvious, you know, candidates for for litigation finance. So it sounds like we're not really seeing this in large law either. We talked about the size of the clients, but what about the firms that are using it? Well, so let's let's make a distinction okay. in terms of what does it mean to be using it. Um, oh, in <laughs> in most transactions, the 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 user is is the client. It's the you know the plaintiff company in the litigation. There are transactions, and there you know the, these are not just a rounding error in the industry. I mean, there there there's a lot of capital being deployed directly to law firms. Where the where the client is not the counterparty to the transaction, the law firm is the counterparty to the to the funding transaction. You see this in uh, with law firms that that have large portfolios of contingent fee litigation. They'll they'll use a litigation finance facility like that to hedge some of their risk to generate some liquidity so that they they don't have to wait you know until all that litigation resolves before they can make partner distributions and, and cover their overhead. Um, so, you know, on the, when, when the client company is the, is the user in many ways, the law firm representing that client is also quote, using litigation finance because they're, uh, they're probably the, the, the source of the information that the client has that tells them that this type of financing even exists. Um, but technically speaking, it's the client that's actually using the financial product. And I hadn't thought about it in that way, but that makes a lot of sense. Do you have any idea? Is there any data on on how much this is happening, and how law firms are using it on deals? On any way to quantify how pervasive it is? Well, let's start with you know some measurement of awareness. Um, you know, if you'd asked that question five, six years ago, uh, you know, many many lawyers that have you know financeable uh, practices 
wouldn't have even heard of litigation financing. Or if they'd heard of it, they would only have known about the consumer side, not the commercial side. You know, fast forward to 2019, it, it's it's almost universally um, it's something that people universally are aware of at this point. Um, but there's a big disconnect between awareness and utilization. No one really knows. No one's ever a- accurately measured um, utilization rates across either big law or you know the smaller boutiques. Um, so no one really knows. But I think that the the u- the actual utilization rate for for litigators is still quite low. Um, but I would say, and again, no one really knows, but I, I would say that uh, a very heavy percentage of the AMLAW 100 or the AMLAW 200, like way more than, than half, I would, I would estimate, have had clients that have used litigation funding to pursue a case that hmm. that law firm was, was litigating. Interesting. And so in terms, of, in terms of getting information about how many total cases are using litigation funding, much less the amounts that are being funded, these are, this is not publicly available information, and these are not agreements that would otherwise show up on a docket, it sounds like. No, definitely not. This okay. is a very opaque industry. Hmm. In fact, that's one, you know, one of my uh, bones to pick with the industry is I think that there's a tendency uh, toward lack of transparency when really there's there's no downside in the transparency. There, this is an industry that's mature enough that there should be, just like there would be in almost any other asset class, there should be reasonably accurate measurements of the contours of the industry. What you know, how, how what's the dollar volume annually? How many cases are being funded? No one knows. Hmm. What do you think the where do you think the reluctance comes to share this information? I think a lot of the reluctance is because there's such a concern over disclosure issues and confidentiality waiver and so I think that funders would uh, would have a legitimate concern that if they participated in some industry survey or some some accurate measurement of the industry that somehow the opponents of the industry might figure out a way to to take a crack at that data set and somehow unearth some some confidential or proprietary information. I think that's the, you know, find, finding spooks behind every tree sort of, you know, a mindset about why you wouldn't go along with sharing data. Um, I think the other reason is it's just a, it's a fairly young industry and there aren't that many, uh, it, you know, it doesn't have that heavy of like analyst coverage. And so there's, there's no one out there actually trying to gather the data. Uh, funders are certainly not going to share their own data with other funders. And so it's probably incumbent on a firm like mine, frankly, to to be the party that goes out and, and rounds up that information. In, in the sense that you all are acting as a, a brokerage, not actually... You, yeah, you I mean, all... we're an advisory services okay. firm focused on the space. Um, you know, we're not a funder. We're not, we're not in, in any way in, like, direct competition with any funder. Um, you know, they... The funding, the funding community would look at us as a source of, of quality deal flow that they could potentially invest in. Um, so we're not we're 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 in the market. We're in the we're in the industry. We have a rare bird's eye view of the industry just because of that role that we play in dealing with pretty much everybody in the, in the market. So I think we just whether that's drawing the. <laughs> The, the the short end of the stick or the long end of the stick, I'm not sure, but I think it, it probably that positioning probably 
puts us into a, a place where we we could gather the the data that seems to be missing in our industry. Sure, you mentioned um, industry opponents uh, with re- opponents of litigation finance. Can you talk a little bit about? what they say, what their concerns are. Is it about ethical considerations like attorney-client privilege, or is it about uh, something else? That's a good question, and that's that's evolved over time. I mean, again, if we go back maybe six or eight years, there the opponents of the industry were attacking just the very l- legitimacy of the of the concept of third-party financing for someone's litigation. I, I think we've moved we've moved well past that point in the in the policy argument and the policy debate to, today is centered around um, the you know the opponents of the industry which is really the the US Chamber of Commerce and their Institute for legal reform they they have called for you know mandatory disclosure of litigation funding in any in any US litigation to the court potentially to the opposing party uh, based on you know the the idea that well on the defense side insurance coverage is at least in federal court is 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 a mandatory disclosure so why shouldn't third party litigation funding also be bound by those rules i mean there there are important distinctions between you know liability insurance on the defense side and third party litigation funding on the plaintiff side uh, but that's that's been, that's the current thrust of the you know the the regulatory effort toward commercial litigation funding Interesting. And so this, it kind of sounds like litigation finance has also become the um, the, the front issue or the, or the pet issue for some of these old arguments and debates about tort reform. Yeah, although you don't, at least I don't see those arguments being made in the same breath, but it, I, I think the, the interests that are being um, looked after in the tort reform movement are the same interests that are opposing the you know, emergence of, of third-party commercial litigation funding. It's a, it is, it is a, you know, it's an, it, it's an insurance industry-backed effort to oppose what I think is, uh, you know, probably from their standpoint, rightfully deemed to be a, a playing field leveler, where maybe you know, in a, in a prior era before litigation funding, you know, defendants and p- particularly large insurance companies could could you know win a war of attrition just just spin the other party into the ground whereas now that the other side has access to third party funding that those dynamics have changed i want to talk a little bit more about something you touched on uh, related to the ethics there are some concerns about the attorney client privilege and work product issues can you talk a little bit about that yeah i mean look a there are there are certain rules of the road that you know, reputable players in the industry um, all, all all acknowledge and observe that if they weren't adhered to, would would be an absolute nightmare, right? Like for example, if you had a, a, a third party litigation funding industry that was in a very heavy handed way interfering with the attorney client relationship because they're they're providing the capital, they're helping to pay for the case, they were. You know, they were they were actually taking control of the litigation so that the, you know, the plaintiff company became essentially a, you know, a straw man. And really the the backer and the owner and the controller of the claim was this litigation funder, you know, 
in some in some dark room somewhere behind the scenes really calling all the shots. If if that were happening, that would be a a, a terrible scenario. Um, that doesn't happen. In fact, litigation funding contracts. It, Literally everyone I've ever seen, I think I've seen pretty much every every funder in the industry's deal documents at this point, everyone I've ever seen has explicit language in there that the funder does not have a right to control. It's They're purely a passive financier. They don't have any decision-making. They can't influence the settlement decisions or case strategy decisions or anything like that. So those are those would definitely be concerns, and they're concerns that Fortunately, the, there are enough um, conscientious players in the industry that everyone's come around uh, or come, you know, in, into full compliance with with those rules of the road. But those rules of the road have never really been, you know, formalized or, um, you know, codified in a way that you you might see through like a code of conduct or an industry association that that the U.S. commercial litigation funding industry currently lacks. Do you see a need for that? I, I think there's a resounding need for that. Um, and it's there, there's a lot of talk in, inside the industry about, um, you know, about forming a, a U.S.-based industry association. Um, in fact, there are there are certain efforts that have that are underway that have been underway for the past year or so, but for one reason or another, it just hasn't come into existence. And I think it's it we're we are long overdue for that to happen. How should lawyers in law firms be thinking about litigation finance? You you spoke earlier about uh, lawyers being able to make their business clients aware that litigation finance is potentially a tool for them to use. So uh, how how should law firms be thinking about this? Well, I mean, I think of that as a two sided coin. I mean, on one side, if, if you're if you're the lawyer, you're the law firm, you're thinking about litigation finance as a a way to solve business issues for your clients. So, you know, it, it's it's a way to address, um, you know, budgetary financial issues related to litigation that, you know, any any business likes the idea of hedging risk. You know, businesses finance all kinds of, of assets and activities. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's no good reason why they shouldn't be doing that with litigation as well, especially given how sensitive most businesses are to these types of outlays. You know, that, that, so one side of the coin is it's a business solution for your clients. And if you're a proactive, you know, counselor and advocate for your clients, you ought to be uh, thinking about those types of issues. The flip side of the coin, the more, you know, law firm focused side of that same coin is it, it, it's a business development tool for the law firm. I mean, this is a source of capital, the end use of which almost always is to pay legal fees. So it's a it's a mechanism that makes it easier for clients with law firms to pay their law firm. So that that has an obvious appeal. Wow, that's that's really interesting. Thank you for this amazing discussion. If listeners want to follow more of your work, where can they find you? The best place for information about Westfleet is probably our website, which is uh, westfleetadvisors.com. Great. Well, thank you so much, Charles, for joining us. Yeah, well, thank you guys for having me. 
You've been listening to Law X.0 from Bloomberg Law. For more Bloomberg Law analysis, visit news.bloomberglaw.com slash Bloomberg hyphen law hyphen analysis. You can also follow us on Twitter. I'm at Dory underscore Goldstein. That's D-O-R-I underscore G-O-L-D-S-T-E-I-N. And I'm at Meg McAvoy, M-E-G-M-C-E-V-O-Y. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. You probably have a lot of questions about the environment. Well, so do we. Are we talking like radioactive chemicals? Is this becoming sort of irrelevant if the U.S. doesn't participate in this? What's going on here? How far did the Trump administration go? And Is mining really better down where it's wetter? Climate change, chemicals, water pollution, you name it. If it's in the environment, we're talking about it. Listen to Bloomberg Environment's official podcast, Parts Per Billion, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, get up-to-the-minute reporting at our website, news.bloombergenvironment.com.